Hi, my name's India. This is Be More Orca, Buck the Menopause. Now, I'm not a medic, or an expert, or a celebrity. I'm just going through it myself. I was totally blindsided by my symptoms. I knew nothing about this stage of my life. And then I discovered neither did any of my friends. So I'm on a mission to find out everything I can, explore every avenue to help us manage our symptoms and get our lives back on track. When we're in the middle of perimenopause, it can feel like the world around us is caving in and our jobs that we were totally on top of can suddenly feel overwhelming. In this episode, I'm talking to Sally Neal, Chief Human Resources Officer for a multinational, about how to keep menopausal women in the workforce. Hi, Sally. Thanks so much for coming and chatting to me. You're welcome. It's great to have this conversation. It is indeed. Now, before we get on to how you've revolutionised your workplace to become menopause friendly, I think the listeners would like to hear a bit about you. So tell me a bit about yourself. My name is Sally Neal. I'm actually 52. So uh, definitely menopausal without a, a shadow of a doubt. I have two fairly grown up girls, 16 and 18, and adorable Cocker Spaniel, who absolutely keeps me sane through uh, menopause. And so you think that menopause started about four years ago, so when you were about 48? Yeah, I think that was probably true. Although at that point, you know, periods were regular, etc. When I listened to one of your previous podcasts with, I think it was uh, Charlotte, who talked a little bit about plantar fasciitis, I-, I thought, oh, actually, that's when I really started to get some issues. When I was out walking, etc., started to get this plantar fasciitis. And it could be anything that almost starts it. But I actually do think it probably was linked to menopause. And then I think there were a variety of other little symptoms, you know, really difficult shifting weight once you'd put a bit of weight on. Skin started to change a bit, you know, quite red and blotchy, a bit fiery. Things like, you know, joint stiffness, just little things, you know, and I noticed it a lot during COVID. We'd all be sat down at the laptop or whatever. And then after an hour or so of uh, meetings, you'd try and stand up and think, oh my goodness, I really feel the pain of this. And I'm sure hindsight is a wonderful thing. Whenever I speak to people about menopause, they always say, having looked back, it probably started to commence before. I I mean, I'm not really into semantics. And I know people like need that differential around like perimenopausal, menopause, postmenopause, etc. But actual fact, I do think that perimenopausal is probably a really critical time. And I think if people knew about menopause prior to being perimenopausal, I think they would take different actions. I think they would do different things. I think they would understand it more and they're more likely to take action or be prepared for menopause. I totally agree that perimenopausal is actually when most people's severe symptoms hit them. And it's something that up until recently, no one really knew about. And as you say, forewarned is forearmed and people might do different things if they knew it was on the horizon. 
So what have you been doing then? Because you actually were saying that you're coping pretty well. Yeah, I feel I'm quite lucky, if I'm honest. Having spoken with perhaps colleagues and friends who are going through menopause, absolutely saying that their symptoms can be really restricting them. I don't feel quite as bad. I am very much aware of it. I mean, I didn't make the decision not to perhaps go to the doctors and, and start maybe HRT. I think if actually the symptoms were worse, I would have no qualm in getting an appointment and going and having that conversation about HRT. So I'm not against HRT in any shape or form. I think probably when I was going through perimenopause and the symptoms were sort of kicking in, I didn't really link it. I I just didn't link it to menopause. So I don't think at that time I thought, right, if I go to the doctors, let's talk about what HRT could do. Did you go to the doctors for your plantar fasciitis then? Yes, I absolutely did. It was never a question that could that be linked in any shape or form. And and in actual fact, they sent me off to a podiatrist because it was seen as a specialist area of work. It it was never considered. Really? And yet from episode two, I think where Charlotte mentions it, loads of people have said to me, oh yeah, plantar fasciitis, that came on in menopause. And it's obviously a key symptom. Absolutely. And certainly even at that point, the doctor didn't say, are you of a particular age? Are you experiencing menopause or, or anything like that? And as I say, I think because I didn't link the two, I never thought actually that would be a really good thing to discuss. Unfortunately, I think we have the worst doctor's surgery in Sefton. It's almost impossible to get an appointment. So I think I got to the stage when I recognised symptoms that were menopause. I thought, you know, I can't be bothered making an appointment with a doctor. So because I was taking herbal remedies for plantar fasciitis, I just sort of applied the same to menopause. I just started reading up what things could I take that are going to require me to go to my GP and hopefully just keep things at bay, if you like. And I've sort of avoided the whole GP route. If I felt confident, I could get an appointment at the GP and they would refer me to a specialist regarding menopause, I would make the effort. But I just don't feel that that's there. And so what have you taken then? You were taking herbal remedies for your plantar fasciitis. Yeah. The podiatrist gave you herbal remedies for that. The podiatrist didn't. I just sort of read up about it. And uh, while I had foot support, we talked a lot about how you make sure you've got the right walking shoes, etc. All of those sorts of things. And, you know, managing, because I swim most mornings, that's sort of my uh, hour to Sally time. And that really helped, actually, to be fair, because they were saying that during COVID, when things like the swimming pools were closed, you know, people were out walking their dogs. You know, I was doing the same. But that constant pressure on the foot is obviously not helpful. So I started taking things like uh, glucosamine, you know, that really help. And I've continued to take that to help with joint pain. Does it help? I think it does. I mean, I can't really sit here and say they absolutely do their job. But what I would say is, A, I'm not going to stop them because I do have some faith that they are working. And on the odd occasion where I've perhaps ran out or I've taken a couple of days where I've forgotten to take them, 
I have noticed a difference. So I do think they work. Yeah, and that's as good as you can get, isn't it? If you're feeling that actually without them, things just sort of slip a little. Yeah. And so what do you take for your menopause? I take red clover. I do take uh, menopause max tablets, which have got elements of red clover and sage, etc. in them. So that's menopace, isn't it? Is it menopace max? Yep, yep. Are the brands available, clearly? Yeah, yeah. I actually do find them quite good. But I also take black kosh. And again, I do find that makes a difference. It definitely reduces hot flushes and night sweats in my experience. And were you suffering from hot flushes and night sweats? Definitely. Badly? How often? I wouldn't say bad, but enough. So it's almost like it feels like the blood's pumping to the head. Um, And I could feel myself getting quite hot and it almost felt a bit fiery. So I was aware that it was happening during the day and it happened quite a bit during the night. It would actually wake me. I wouldn't say very sweaty. I know some people have really struggled with that. Yeah, they get drenched, don't they? But yeah, definitely the black co-wash. If it's disturbing your sleep, then that has such a knock-on effect doesn't it? I find that if I've had a bad night's sleep, my whole day crumbles the next day. Absolutely. I completely agree with you, India. I find that the worst symptom, if I'm really honest. I will put up with things like hot flushes and actually the insomnia. I just find that terrible because I'm quite... I'm quite an upbeat person. I've got quite a bit of energy. I'm quite positive. But if I've not had a good sleep, I find the day I'm... (laughs) bearable you know I'm just grumpy and and again I don't want to say everything's down to menopause because I think there's that real danger we we put it all into the oh that's the menopause bucket you know chuck it in because I'm not sure that's really true but there is a knock-on effect from all of these things isn't there as you say if you've had a terrible night's sleep even if you are the bubbliest positive person which I like to consider myself to be if you've had a week where you've had you know on and off disturbed sleep you are grumpy Not a nice person to know. No, I'm the same. You've got two or three heads, haven't you? (laughs) Yeah, so black cohosh has really helped. I mean, it hasn't helped me sleep. And I have in the past tried to take things to help with sleep. I'm sure, you know, Deborah won't mind me saying this. And Deborah was obviously on your podcast in the past. Yeah, people will remember Deborah from episode two and how brilliant and funny and frank she was. And she is actually the CEO of your company, isn't she? Yes, Yes. And she's always suffered with insomnia. And it definitely, she said it got worse during that menopause phase. And I think, you know, people try lots of things, don't they? And and for some people, it works. For some people, it just doesn't. And you have to sort of ride it out. You just learn to manage it. I'm not patient enough to learn to manage it. I just need it dealt with. So I will take whatever I need to take for a decent night's sleep. And so what have you been taking then? So I do take natural remedies for things like sleep. And in the summer, I do suffer a bit with hay fever. Again, it's not menopause related. I've had that for years. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I will take remedies for things like hay fever, but I'm quite happy to take ones that make you feel a bit drowsy. Because actually, why not? Yes, exactly. Yes, bring me the drowsiness. So do the calms help if you wake at two in the morning? Do you take it then or do you take it? I tend to take it first thing. I mean, if I do have a bit of a restless night and then, you know, I wake up during the night, I do my best to stay in bed and just calmly talk to myself. Sometimes I put a bit of music on or something, but I will 
do my best not to get out of bed. Because I think once you're out of bed, it's really difficult to get back again, isn't it? My big mantra at the moment is the idea that resting is just as good as sleeping. If I'm lying here calmly with my eyes shut, I'm at least resting my body. And yeah, I know other people say, oh, I have to get up and read a book or something. That would be me done. I wouldn't get back to sleep. Yeah. I would be the same. I'm the same sort of approach as you. I just try and convince myself to stay. There's been the odd occasion where I have got up and I have taken things like calms, night, etc. And you can get sleep easy, you know. But again, some people actually react the opposite to those type of remedies. It can actually cause people to remain awake. I think it's about 25% of the population that can't take things like sleep easy because it has the adverse effect. Yeah, that's not what you want. Yeah. No. Fine with me, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there you go. So you feel at the moment that you've got a handle on your symptoms then? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure my family would agree, but you know what? <laughs> you know, at this moment in time, I'm not too worried. I'm not going to put myself under pressure to worry about that. So, yeah, I feel like it's keeping it just a bit of a lid on it. And you touched on the fact that you exercise. So you swim and you walk your dog. You swim every day, do you? Yeah, I try to swim at least six days a week for 45 minutes. And I, I'm not like a big competitive, you know, person. You know, like some people get in there and they hammer the lanes. I'm not joking. I don't. I'm in there. I, you know, I'm hoping I swim, you know, a mile a day or something. But for me, this is about a time to myself. I love the coolness of the water. So when people get in and say, oh, my goodness, it's freezing. I'm like, this is great for me. Right temperature for me. Just lovely. Thanks. <laughs> but I do think that swimming does help for sure. Because if you are tired, it wakes you up and it gets you sort of set for the morning. But equally, if your joints are a bit achy or you're feeling a bit grumpy, it's just great, I think, for the physical, but also that mental well-being that you feel so much calmer once you've swam. It's a water therapy, isn't it? There is something about it. And as you say, like a really good non-load-bearing exercise for your plantar fasciitis. I mean, that's like building strength without putting extra pressure on joints and things like that. It's a win for swimming for menopausal women, I think. It cool you down and relieve joint aches. Absolutely. Definitely a go. And, and walking is really good. I enjoy the walking, don't get me wrong. It's really nice to be out in the fresh air. Sometimes it's even quite nice to be out when it's raining and you get soaking wet. Sometimes you just need that, don't you? But it's just nice to be out there. I really enjoy spending that time walking the dog. And I do try and just use it as a bit of a moment to switch off and breathe in the goodness of nature, I think. You know, that's what it's about. You do start to forget about perhaps the menopausal symptoms when you're out and about. I think it's really true, actually. And they are saying, aren't they, that getting into green space is incredibly important for mental health and um, and just time to yourself, as you were saying, just a bit of, bit of me time where no one's demanding things on you except, you know, maybe the odd ball thrown for your dog. Yeah, absolutely. And the dog doesn't mind if you're grumpy, let's face it. <laughs> yes, exactly. So tell us a bit about the company you work for. You mentioned Deborah and she's your CEO. Yeah, so Avato is probably not known by a lot of individuals. It's a BPO, so it's a business processing outsourcing organisation. We work with some really well-known brands and our company sits within Bertelsmann, which is a social media entertainment type company. I am bound to say this, I'm a bit biased because I'm uh, the chief HRO, but I do think it's a great organisation to work with. 
work with. It really does put people at the heart of the organisation. And it's the type of industry, you know, where it can be quite fast paced. People describe them as being quite ruthless in a way. I don't feel that with Avato. And so I think in my role and, you know, perhaps given my experiences and Deborah's to a certain extent, has really enabled us to introduce a sort of menopause-friendly environment. And you have a lovely phrase on your website, be 100% you every day. Well, that's a great mantra that we should all live by. It's lovely to see that on, as you say, on something that could be considered quite a ruthless, fast-paced industry. So do you know what proportion of your workforce is women aged between 45 to 55? Yeah, we did do, not so much a survey, but we did look at our demographics about two years ago. And I think there was something like... 20% in that category, which is pretty significant. And have you noticed a trend in these women leaving the workforce before you started all your menopause work? I can't say with accuracy that people were leaving, but we started to notice sort of threads of conversations, you know, where people were saying, I'm struggling a little bit, or I find this really difficult. And they might not initially want to use the word menopause. Occasionally, you'd hear a few discreet people say, I'm going through the change, you know, and we try to avoid those sorts of words, because we just sort of say, it's menopause, it is what it is. Let's just get it out there. And and again, part of this is about normalising things, isn't it? It's about saying, do you know what, you don't have to worry about periods. There's free products in the toilet if you get caught short don't worry about it or if you are really struggling perhaps first thing in the morning because you've had a rough night or whatever let's try and organize calls just to be shunted by an hour and we dial in at 10 instead of half eight or something it's trying to just make it easy for people to say that's difficult because in my view it's not just about menopause people out there are dealing with such a lot aren't they all the time and I think Maybe it's because I've got a bit older and I've got a different view on life, but I've become so much more aware of the difficulties that people are having on an everyday basis. We've got people, and it'll be the case not just in our organisation, but all organisations, where you know they're dealing with things like cancer or bereavement of family members. They've got perhaps divorce or you know they've had some sort of like trauma, previous trauma, and sometimes just day-to-day life you know if you've got a couple of children and you're trying to rush to and from work or even just using technology we all know technology goes wrong and it can be so stressful for people I think so some of the issues people were talking about years ago they're still there aren't they even if the world's got better and employers have got better issues are still there. So menopause is just another one of those issues that a percentage of the population will be struggling with at some point. Exactly. And it's up to the workplace and amazing leaders of the companies to support their staff, no matter what they're going through. Absolutely. So do you think that it was the fact that you had a female CEO and you are the HRO, as you say, do you think that's what pushed it up the agenda at the company? It definitely helped. Deborah has got an absolutely brilliant way about her as a CEO. She's always very open and honest. I think she's been so used to working with male board members. She absolutely does not let them off the hook. She's quite happy to say, 
we need to take a break. I can't get my words out. My brain's gone or I'm having a hot moment or whatever. Open that door or I need to leave the room for a bit. So I think she's been really good at being just really quite open and honest about it. And as you say, normalising it. So realising that it's not a taboo, she's not hiding it. She said in her chat on episode two, she was just like, right, I've got to take 15 minutes. I'm having a menopausal moment. And she said to begin with, all her male board members were like, "Mm, I don't know about this. And then it became, okay, fine, we'll take 15 minutes. And that's what needs to happen in every workplace, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And and it was really funny because, you know, Deborah really likes warmth. And and I've always preferred things a bit, on the chillier side. So quite often when we're in board meetings, you know, she might say, oh my gosh, it's freezing in it. Somebody turn up the heating. And I'd say, no, I'm having me menopause. Please do not turn up the heating. And so I think the board members just got used to hearing that. And I've tried to do the same with my teams. And certainly some of my reports are of very similar age to me, female. And, you know, they're quite happy to say, oh my gosh, I'm really struggling with the menopause or I'm doing okay with it, but I appreciate where you're coming from. So I'm quite happy to turn the heating down or open the windows for you, etc. So I think I think that definitely helped. And when we tried to launch our menopause policy and training and etc, we started with this session with Deborah, where we done a fan at my side chat, and we allowed people to dial in and we encourage people, not, not just women, but the men in our organisation to dial in because we were saying, actually, as men, you need to understand what colleagues are going through. But also, perhaps if you've got female partners, Just having a bit of understanding about what they're going through personally. Yeah, the women in your life. No man is an island, is he? There are going to be, whether it's his mum, his sister, his girlfriend and potentially daughters. Everyone needs to understand it a bit more. So you touched on the fan at my side chats. I love the idea of this. So it was a virtual thing, was it? It was, yep. Because it was during COVID. <laughs> so everything was virtual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we just done video call on our Teams or Zooms, whatever. And again, we allowed people, you know, we said, feel free to put your cameras on. But equally, if you don't want to, you don't have to, because we don't want people to be under pressure with those sorts of things. But people loved being able to ask Deborah questions. And then from that, we said, well, why don't we start up a bit of an allyship group? So that's when we set up Pause for Support. And it's not run by me, even though I initially set it up. And we have a sort of uh, request. So people request to join the group. It's a Teams chat group. Actually, they run it themselves. And sometimes you get a real flurry. So something has happened locally or people have attended a seminar or they might have seen something on the telly. And people will put in things in the chat and then it might go quiet for a bit. And then someone else might say, I'm thinking about taking some herbal remedies. Has this worked for anybody? Give us a bit of a stick. So it's really nice. It flowed really well. I think you have to have the policy. You know, I'd say to all organisations that you really do need a policy because it has to set the tone of the organisation. And so what was your policy then? Did you actually put something concrete into your HR logistics? Yeah, so we did start very much with, you know, as you mentioned, that sort of strap line about the 100% you and how important it is to recognise that people sometimes need a bit of help to be 100%. And we've got an, an expectation as employers, we will do that. And line managers need to follow suit. So we set an expectation around seeing menopause. And I'm going to be very careful about how I say this, but 
almost treating menopause like you would have to treat a disability in the workplace. And I'm not saying it's a disability. Don't get me wrong. No, no, obviously. I had this chat with Tilly, who was a policewoman, and she'd done her policy. And she said exactly the same thing, that to begin with, it has to be almost set up as a disability in order for the policy to be able to be made. Yeah, absolutely. We were saying that it should be treated in the same way as disability in that you would have to make legally reasonable adjustments in the workplace. Now, that doesn't mean to say it's completely carte blanche. But what we are saying is, if a woman puts her hand up and says, look, I am really struggling, I don't have much sleep, And therefore, when I'm up in the morning and my brain fog is impinging on my thoughts, we might say, actually, if you can delay a call by an hour, some things are really simple. Just offering somebody a fan if they're in the office, asking them where they would be best seated. Actually, people do find spots in the office, don't they? That they go, that's really nice because it's much cooler or I can open the door and get flow of air or I can put a fan on without disturbing other people. You can make some really easy, reasonable adjustments, but it's about getting the organisation to commit to having an environment that allows a woman to say, right, I'm putting my hand up here. This is what I need and this is why I need it. Having that policy with that commitment in it. Then that sort of launch with the CEO and the setup of that Ali Ship group really got, I think, the organisation very quickly to a place where everybody could see that we were committed to making sure menopause was normalised and that people could reach out for some support. So are you able to report sick for menopausal symptoms? Yes, I guess individuals can. In my experience, I'm not seeing a lot of that. And I'm hoping that's because we are coming to some arrangement that means individuals don't have to take time off sick. It might be that they just need a little bit of flexibility, start late or finish early, etc., or take an extended lunch break. But usually people are able to work the hours as I say, they just might need that slight flexibility. And obviously, if people do need to call in sick and then they are saying it's as a result of menopause, I think we would want to do what we could to help that. So we can refer to Oki Health maybe, because again, we know some people are struggling to get appointments with GPs, etc. So we would encourage them to reach out to maybe support that we can provide like Oki Health or, you know, again, I think people will perhaps go through the pause for support, Ali Ship group, or very well, perhaps, you know, contact somebody in the organisation, whether it be Line or HR, whatever, to say, actually, what else can we provide? We've got loads of things on our website, for example, and our um, intranet around things like what the symptoms could be, perhaps how they could manage them, even little hints and tips around diet, around exercise, etc. I think sometimes just that informal route works for some people. So you were saying you changed your EAP, which is your Employee Assistance Programme. That's your healthcare package, is it? I think we recognised, and and as I said earlier with my own symptoms, it's really difficult to get a GP for some people. So we decided that we would look for an Employee Assistance Programme that not only offered 
what most programs offer, that sort of counselling, health line, instant tips, etc. But we wanted one that provided a 24-7 GP online. And I think that has been a great service to offer employees for whatever reason. But I certainly think it will help women in particular who perhaps either don't have faith in going to their own GP or maybe even find still a bit embarrassing to talk to a GP, especially perhaps if it's a male, young GP, that might put some women off, etc. And I think as well, I think there's recognition that even though GPs probably are quite aware around menopause. They don't always join the dots, as we've talked about with plantar fasciitis. I think if I went back now, they wouldn't even still talk about menopause and a potential relationship there. And again, there are menopause specialised clinics, aren't there? But I don't know many people who have ever been referred to them. I think a lot of people are saying or feeling that perhaps they need to do their own bit of research or find out by asking friends and peers, you know, this type of podcast, it really helps people think about what their options perhaps could be. And that's why I thought the GP online would be quite good because I just think it enables people to phone up they can have a video call within 24 hours, that's the service level agreement, or a phone call with a GP. So they have to respond within 30 minutes and they have to have had a phone call within that 12 hours. Wow, that's amazing. Like we were saying, if you wake up in the middle of the night and you think, you know, what is going on? 24-7, you could just ring and get an answer. Which is phenomenal. So have you seen an improvement in the productivity of your women of, say, a menopausal age since all these measures have been put into place? Again, I can't say for sure as a result of putting all of this into place, it's increased people's productivity. But I certainly don't think it has decreased, which is a good sign. And again, the positivity that we get from women in our organisations and perhaps even some of the line managers who perhaps in the past would have struggled with this are actually saying this is really helpful and even if it just enables people to be talking about it and not afraid to say look I'm experiencing the menopause just give me a break yeah, exactly <laughs> even that in itself it is what's required isn't it we wouldn't frown upon anybody saying I'm having treatment at the moment because I've, I've got a bunion or something on my foot, you know. So I don't know why we would want people to feel any different about menopause. And why women should feel they have to hide it and how detrimental that is. If you just don't have to hide it in your workplace and you feel supported in your workplace, then you're going to be a happier and more productive employee, aren't you? Absolutely. And I think some of it is also that it's almost a loyalty thing as well, isn't it? If people think we have considered what their life must be like and how we can act appropriately to be supportive, yes, we are getting a benefit from that as a business, aren't we? You can't hide that. But equally, if people know that we care about their welfare, they do pay you back. They're so much more loyal. They know it's a good place to work. And I think that's really important. And I think all employers have a duty to make the workplace the best it possibly can be. And I appreciate all workplaces have their own little environments, don't they? And, and what's important to them and, and probably our environment. We're lucky we can be quite informal as an organisation. I suspect other organisations are a lot more corporate or hierarchical. But that doesn't mean to say 
they can't still be open and transparent and friendly and warm and caring about their employees. It's just that it's done in a slightly different way. But I do think employers have a duty to think about the welfare of their employees. And I I think their employees will know if that's happening. They will know if they are being considered and that will pay itself back. It really will, in my belief. I totally agree. And has there been any backlash? Has there been anyone saying, oh, well, hang on, how come all these like menopausal women are getting all this special treatment? To be fair, I would say no, there hasn't really been backlash. But what I would say is, and then this happens in most organisations, I'm sure we're not the only one, but people go, oh, we don't want to open the floodgates. What happens if that 20% of women all phone in sick one day? I mean, it's just, it is pretty mad. But but I think people do, you know, there is that floodgate concept. And I'm like, it's probably not going to happen. It's really not. Although you do feel yourself feeling like you've got to pull together a business plan to say, actually, I better just reassure them that if it does happen, if 200 women phone in uh, tomorrow, I need to make sure I've got a plan up my sleeve to justify. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure they won't be needing a CHRO soon. (laughs) But it, it never really happens. But I think that's the fear, isn't it? And there's always the fear that a group of people will take advantage of what's being offered. But again, Again, in my experience, it doesn't really happen. And if it does, it's one or two people. And in the scheme of things, it doesn't put the organisation at risk. I've been following Dee Murray on LinkedIn, and she has some really good articles, really good opinions and views. And she was actually saying that some of perhaps older women who have been through menopause are saying, what are all this fuss about? Never happened in my day. You didn't get any special treatment in my day. And I completely agreed with her comments about it just feels like we haven't got that compassion. You know, just because it didn't happen in your day, that doesn't mean to say it shouldn't happen now. It feels like that camaraderie or that solidarity is missing when people make those sorts of comments. And again, isn't it about improving life and and employment and work-life balance? Surely that should be our agenda to improve rather than say, well, we didn't need it years ago. Well, you probably did need it years ago. Yeah, we're sorry you didn't have it years ago, but actually moving forward and for the generations to come, that's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast, because you have to hope that the women who are in their 20s and 30s now coming forward will be forewarned and forearmed and in a much better position. It won't smack them around the back of the head like it did me. And do you know what? I'm sure you've spoken to people in India and and in particular women in India that are saying, do you know what? I don't want to take loads of time off work. No one's after career suicide, are they? It's absolutely only when and if needed. And for most women, it's minor tweaks that make a massive difference. See, that's such a good ethos as well, isn't it? It doesn't have to be a huge sea change. Just little things can be the difference between some woman managing to do her job that day and feeling that she's falling apart. Again, I think we have to remember that women probably round about that sort of 50-year age are brilliant. That's a really great time for their career, isn't it? Lots of experience and knowledge, confidence. Most women feel that they're comfortable in their own skin at that age. And it's a new self-esteem. And we should encourage women to be looking for the career changes that they want. 
I mean, some women might say, actually, I've absolutely been killing myself for the last 30 years in a job and, and looking after home and I want to wind down. But that doesn't mean to say they can't do a fantastic job and bring so much to an organisation. And it was that scary statistic that one in 10 women leave their workplace through menopausal symptoms. I mean, that has to change because, as you say, that's such an extraordinary wealth of experience and knowledge that is just being lost. And that also leads into that there aren't enough women in the boardrooms and the higher echelons of companies because you've clawed your way up. And then if the menopause comes and swipes your legs out from underneath you, then you haven't made it there. I think that is such a frightening statistic, isn't it? Really? Yeah, terrifying. Just to sum up, what can other organisations do to help their workforce, do you think? I think it's probably important to ask women in the organisation who are experiencing menopause, what is it like and what support do they think would go a long way? I think that's quite important because whilst we can make some assumptions... And even when we started this process in our organisation around the services and support we were going to provide, we did make a few assumptions. To be fair, both Deborah and I, similar ages, and we've probably had some similar experiences. We made some assumptions. And do you know what? That was OK. And it got the programme or the support off the block. It was the starting place. But I think sometimes we can make assumptions and they may not be in keeping with people's actual experiences. So I think it's good to ask women about their journey because even that is about dialing up the voice and that normalisation that we've talked about. I think that is really helpful. But I truly believe that you need a culture and it needs to be top down, bottom up. It's got to be a culture of we can talk about this. And you know what? We're bound to be able to find a solution. It's really got to be a cultural thing. But I don't think it hurts to have a policy that sets out a very clear commitment about we will make reasonable adjustments. And, and those words are really key, reasonable. We're not asking employers to go completely change everything and suddenly go from profit to loss. We're not asking that. We're asking for people to make reasonable adjustments to accommodate not just women that are going through menopause, but to accommodate people and their lives. Because that is the reality that we live in, isn't it? Sally, couldn't have put that better myself. You're amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming and talking to me about this really important issue. More than welcome. Would that all employers were as caring and employee-focused as Sally. I love her ethos of little adjustments can make all the difference, something we can all take on board in our lives. Next time, I'm talking to Katie Day, who after her precocious puberty at the age of five, has dedicated her life to helping women navigate their menopause. She's passionate about how this time of life can lead us to becoming a better version of ourselves, more powerful and potent than ever. If you want to be more Orca, head to bemoreorcapod.co.uk. For all the latest on what's coming up, I've cherry-picked articles to keep you informed so you don't have to sift through the news. And become a member. Tell me what matters to you and what questions you want answering. Help shape the pod and help other women just like you so we never have to feel like we're going it alone again. And if you've liked this episode, please subscribe 
as it helps with those pesky algorithms and lets others find us and become part of our pod. And follow me at b.more.orca for my no-filter menopause diary. Menopause.